0: Welcome to our podcast here at Trinity West Church. We believe that you will be enriched by today's message. Let's open our hearts to receive God's word. great to be back here honored. Uh, I sure love your pastor. love your love Pastor Brian. Wow. He's not here, and you gave him such an incredible welcome and and, and expression of love. That speaks extremely well. Well, look, this morning I want to speak to you from my heart, because I've discovered something in the years that I've been honored to serve the Word of God to others, is that if I simply speak to you from a message that was merely concocted or contrived or put together in in a library study setting... At best, I can give you some window dressing for your mind, and that might not hurt. But I really want to talk to you from my heart about something that really impacted my walk with Jesus Christ over the years. Is that okay? Thank you for your permission. But Jesus, I'm going to do that. Jesus often communicated and unfolded truth through stories, or they're known as parables, In one particular chapter that we're going to look at in Luke 15, he uses three simple parables to unfold one great truth. And that's what I want to speak with you about today, simply the amazing, incredible value of one. Holy Spirit, thank you. As we've sang an invitation to you that you'd come and fill the atmosphere, I call on you again. Lord, I thank you. God, that you'd give me the life of one man or one woman here today that would wrap their heart and their life around what is spoken and they would be catapulted into fulfilling your destiny designed for them. Any more would be incredible, but I ask you for simply one. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to unpack a little bit of Luke 15 this morning. Beginning, the, the first story that we're going to briefly revisit, is at the top of the chapter, and it's referred to in my Bible as the lost sheep. Now we read in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering together to hear about Jesus. To hear Jesus, excuse me. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable or story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. Say the word one with me. One. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. Now, I'm Jewish by birth. And so there's this little business thing that keeps running in my brain, this business program periodically that just runs without any effort. And when I look at this story, that program comes up on my mental hard drive. I'm looking, okay, we've got a guy here. Now, I'm urban to the core, but yet I can wrap my mind around this story in this way. You've got a shepherd that's moving a hundred sheep from point A to point B. Maybe he's taking them to market. And one of them wanders away. And immediately he is faced with a simple business decision. Do I go after that one sheep, put at risk losing more, or do I just cut my losses with the one that wandered off And keep moving the 99 and get them to where I need to get them on time. That would not be an uncommon perspective from a business point of view. And yet the Bible also does not clarify what kind of a one sheep this was. Is it the one sheep that would be the blue ribbon prize winning perfect specimen of a sheep? Or is it the one that's kind of dragged one leg a little bit and winked and looked at you a little funny? You know, he's a little slow. And that's why he wandered off. Some people think, well, he's slow, just let him go. Funny, the Bible doesn't, it could have been one or the other or a mixture. fact of the matter is, the shepherd saw the value of one, put 99 at risk, including his prophet, potentially, and went after, rescued him, didn't scold him, incidentally, put him on his shoulders, had a grin and a smile, and rejoiced as he brought him home. Parable number one. Parable number two begins in verse eight. It is the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends sends out a mass email a bulk text to her neighbors to get i mean i'm just bringing the story up to date a little bit here and says rejoice with me i have found my lost coin i got money now everybody meet me on starbucks coffee's on me okay i just thought we would get that one If five dollars a cup man a free cup of coffee on, on somebody else that's a good deal The third story we're going to look at here, I'm not going to take time to read it, but I'm going to use my own words, and I might bring it up to date a little bit, because sometimes the biblical stories, I don't know, somehow I'm a modern guy, and it makes a little sense if we can think about it in today's framework. This one is called the lost son, or the parable, I mean the prodigal son, and you've got a man that's got two sons. His older would be probably the good guy. He worked for his dad, ran his father's business, took care of everything. Everything was going smooth. Everything was going good. When son number one was on the scene, no worries, mate. Then there's son number two, the younger guy, I call him a sport. I mean, he liked to hang out, run, look good. Fast and furious could have been his nickname. And He takes a look at his dad one day. His dad is a wealthy, well-respected businessman. He said, look, Pops, I know when you die, I'm going to get a lot of money. So I'm looking good right now. Feeling pretty good. I'm young. Things are going on. Why don't you just cut the check? Give me my inheritance now so I can enjoy it with a good life. Funny, Pops looks at him and goes, Okay, son, here it is. Sonny boy looks at all those zeros and his eyes almost roll back in his head. I mean, he's like, ah! He goes to the airport, buys a first-class ticket to Los Angeles, rents a house in the Hollywood Hills. He's partying with the stars. You can see him photobomb on TMZ. I mean, it's, you know... He's hanging, he's rolling, he's looking good. Credit cards getting maxed out. He can't pay the rent. He goes from the Hollywood Hills down to Skid Row in LA. Anyone ever been to Skid Row in Los Angeles? Skid Row is a small section of downtown Los Angeles, the second largest city in America. There's a resident population that lives on the streets of between 3,000 and 6,000 people. They live in cardboard boxes, blankets, and tents made from plastic tarps. The air smells like sweat, cheap booze, and urine. And the boy ends up there. Good home, high dollar rent in Hollywood Hills, skid row. Then the Bible says that he came to his senses. He goes... I must be crazy. My father's hired hands are doing better than I am right now. I need to go home and tell dad I messed up. So we head home. Pop season coming down the road. Push the pause button with me for just a moment. I imagine his dad was known and respected in the community. Everybody knew the number one son, he's a good guy. And they all knew about number two. Isn't it crazy that sometimes when grown children make stupid mistakes, they immediately want to ble- you know, blame the parents? They go, "Oh, what was wrong with mom and dad? Sometimes it was something, sometimes it's not. Kids make stupid mistakes. How many of you know that? How many of you made stupid mistakes when you were young? How many of you are young but not, you're not going to fess up yet? Maybe you haven't. In my case, my father worked for the government. He had a high-level government security clearance with the military operation. I was a heroin addict. I was arrested for aiding and abetting the sale of heroin, and possession of narcotics, in a countywide raid in Monmouth County, New Jersey, where my name hit the front page of the Asbury Park Press. My father lost his security clearance because of me. And I looked at this story and I thought about myself in addition to that. And the father could have looked at the prodigal son down the road and thought, "That rascal, I wish he never would have come home. He caused me to lose business. People wouldn't talk to me at Starbucks because of what he did and how he lived. It wasn't my fault. But he didn't do that. He saw his son coming, gets his cell phone out. He says, man, get my son an Armani suit. I mean, the high end. Call the caterer. We're catering Italian tonight. Get a DJ. I want a gold ring for his finger. My son, who was dead, is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. I am glad he's back. A little side note, the Bible never says that he received a second inheritance. Did he or didn't, don't know, but it never mentions that at all. But he was received home. These three stories that we've looked at have an obvious connecting point. In each case, we are made acutely aware of the incredible, immeasurable value of one. One sheep, one coin, one young man. One. In our own situation here today, we're talking about the amazing value of one single life. To begin with... Every individual person has an immeasurable value because each and every one of us on this planet are made in the image of God. You go back to Genesis 1, and God says, let us create man in our own image. That's huge. Turn to the person next to you and say, You're made in the image of God. Come on, do that with me right now. I mean, every rowdy college student, every housewife, every drunk, every inner city street kid, every drag queen, people just like you and I, we are made in God's image. And when God looks at his creation, that is what he sees. Made in the image of God. Now I want to look for a moment at Mark 16 and as we do that, we see in this situation Jesus had already been crucified and raised from the dead and three women go to the tomb to visit Jesus and they are greeted by an angel that says, he's not here, Elvis left the building, no, Jesus is gone, he's not in the tomb, I'm just checking to make sure you're tracking with me. And you see, at this point, we get a real glimpse into the heart of God. In verse 7 of Mark 16, the angel that greeted them says this, but go tell Jesus' disciples, his disciples, and Peter. Say, and Peter with me. And Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. And we're talking about Peter here, folks. This is the guy that just denied Jesus three times. He, he needed an anger management program, he had a hot temper. Beyond that, he was prone to cussing. You know anyone that got a bad temper and might curse every now and again? Go, <laughs> it got real quiet. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Interesting. The angel singles out Peter. Not the brother of Jesus named James. Not the one the Bible calls the beloved John, but Peter. Jesus was saying, I want Peter to know I'm here. I'm here. I've not forgotten him. I've forgiven him. It's going to be okay. Tell Peter. You see, while the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ took place for the entire human race of all time, it was also designed for one. In this case, Peter, but we're going to see that's not all. Just a little FYI and a little aside for you. The first person... Jesus appeared to after the resurrection was Mary Magdalene. It might be a stretch to call her a lady at that point in her life. She has some trouble and issues. Why would Jesus, ask yourself, why would Jesus make the special effort to connect with this one guy? Peter. Well, yeah, maybe you could add Mary too. Because they needed it. You see, The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that God has the power not only to bring somebody back from the dead physically, but if he can do that, he can do it morally, spiritually, relationally, bring somebody back from the dead. Jesus knew Peter needed a second chance, and so do we. Hey, are you here today needing another chance in life, a second chance, a third chance, a 53rd chance? God knows that. He's got that chance for you, got that opportunity. Hang in here with me just a little bit longer, but don't miss this once again, my friend. I need to reiterate that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was done for the world. Oh, yeah but it was also designed for one. Not only Peter, Mary, Magdalene, but me and you here today. You see, today we're talking about just one life. Think about what just one life can accomplish. If you go to the Bible to begin with, how about the life of Moses? Wow! The deliverer of his people. The giver of the law, the Ten Commandments. He started life in a very unlikely manner. I mean, his mother took him, hid him in a basket, put him out afloat in the intercoastal. I mean, to hide him. And then he's picked up by Pharaoh's family. He's raised by the enemy. God did something through one life. You've got David. Great story. The man after God's own heart. The lineage from which Jesus came from. Crazy. David. David really could have spent his entire life in therapy. You know that? Because in the beginning, when the prophet of God came to David's father's house, Jesse, looking for the next king... Jesse parades out all of his sons, but ignores David. And as the boys are parading by the prophet, the prophet's going, no, uh-uh-uh-uh, next, aunt, aunt, not, not a, aunt. <makes noise> Jesse, you got any more boys? Oh, yeah, I got one. I didn't think he'd really matter. He's just out back, you know, shepherd. He's a musician. I didn't really think he'd rate. Right. Bring him in. I ain't leaving until I see him. Comes in, you know the rest of the story. David, one life. Wow. Joseph, a type of Christ in bringing deliverance to his family, to the nation. How about in science? There was a time in our world when polio was a monster epidemic. One man came up with the polio vaccine, Jonas Salk. How many of you are grateful for the lighting here today? One guy, Thomas Edison, is behind all of that. In human rights, we have Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves in this country. Martin Luther King pushed civil rights way forward in the right direction in America. One life. You go to modern, more modern times. I I think of one particular woman. God called her in Los Angeles, and she was a a barnstorming evangelist traveling the country. And God told her to build a work in L.A. Her name was Amy Semple McPherson. I mean, her first husband had died. They were missionaries. He had died. And she's in Los Angeles and going to build the great Angeles Temple that has experienced a revival in recent years and is blowing the doors out these days. And as she began to she break ground for the Angeles Temple, which is the longest, the building built for spirit-filled ministry that is running longer than any other building ever built for spirit-filled ministry in America. That's interesting. And as she dug up put the shovel in the ground to break ground for this great building. She quoted what God spoke to her, that if I dig a hole, God would fill it. Of course, Angela's Temple, the Four Square Movement, rocking it around the world. One woman. Anyone here know of anyone ever involved in drugs? Sure, most everyone does. You know, God spoke to one man years ago. Back in the '50s, he was a preacher in the hills of Western Pennsylvania. God spoke to him to go to New York City and in essence, begin to minister there. He did not fit culturally. And out of and through this one life, God unleashed a whole thrust that has revolutionized salvaging lives from the scourge of drug addiction through the power of Christ. And his name was David Wilkerson. You could go on and on, just one life. You know, for 34 years, the Lord has called me and assigned me to go to New Orleans for the Mardi Gras and minister the gospel there. And every year, there's 1,000, 1,500 or more Christians that come and Spread the gospel. We take 250. And yet as I began to listen, I realized that this massive invasion started because of one man. Maybe 50, 60 years ago, a farmer by the name of Laverne Kramer came from Iowa, went down to New Orleans. God prompted him to witness during Mardi Gras. Just all by himself. So he went down and started to tell people about Jesus Christ. pass out Christian literature. In addition, he began to pray, God, send laborers. Then in the mid-70s, a, little Bible, a new Bible college in Dallas, Texas, called Christ for the Nations, sent a van load of students, and out of that his mushroomed, A monster army, directly and indirectly, because of the one man that prayed, the one van load of students. Matter of fact, I want to take you to New Orleans for a couple of minutes. Would you like to go with me? Thank you. You're on your way. We don't have to go through the airport, take off your shoes or head to your purse. Hey guys, let's, uh, let's cue that up right now.
1: Every year, the city of New Orleans comes to life with its annual festival of Mardi Gras. People from all over the world gather to indulge themselves in every fleshly desire, trying to fill the void in their hearts. This year, we came to help them fill that void with the good news of Jesus Christ. message was a message of love, and our words brought light into a dark city. His love changes the hardest of hearts. It calls us from the depths and into his glorious light. When you have encountered his love, you cannot help but surrender to it. For his love will chase us to the ends of the earth and to the depths of the sea. How great is the love of the Father?
0: Just one life. Put all of that into motion. You witnessed a thousand people worshiping God in the middle of all of that insanity. Hundreds of people coming to Christ. We even had a fellow that had been bound in a wheelchair for eight months because of an accident. Our team prayed for him. The guy rose up out of his wheelchair and said, I'd like to push this wheelchair down the street. And he began to push it down the street as God healed him and raised him up in the middle of all of that because of one man who went down and did what he could do. Just one life. <laughs> My own life. A lot has happened. Uh, I went to a high school reunion a while back. How many you ever go to a school reunion? They're scary. You want to see everybody before you no longer recognize them. And I'm talking to some of the guys I went with. And my my high school career was I was enrolled in four high schools, attended three, and was expelled from one, incidentally. So I went, and, and it was being held at a country club, and I knew there'd be a lot of drinking. So I went early, and I was going to leave early. And I'm standing around the pool talking to some of my old buddies. And as we're talking, a fellow walks in, the, working his way through the crowd, doing what I call glad hand. How many of you know what glad hand is? I, hi, how you doing? How hey, do you doing? Remember me? Hi, 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 hi. Remember me? Hi, 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 hi. And he comes and he grabs my hand. Hi, Scott, do you remember me? And I'm thinking, I can never forget you. We were polar opposites in the high school social universe. His doctor was a prom, I mean, his father was a prominent doctor. He was Mr. Popularity, Mr. Congeniality, Mr. Great Scholar, Mr. Make-Me-Sick. I would have been voted most likely to die in the electric chair. He takes my hand, he said, Scott, I want to tell you something you probably don't know. He said, after you became a Christian, which I did at the age of 19, He said, you gave me a little pamphlet. I knew your life. And I figured if what was in that pamphlet had anything to do with the change in your life, I wanted to read it. And I did. A while later, I became a Christian. I'm in the ministry today. I'm a pastor. I want to say thank you. I had no clue. I didn't feel anointed. I didn't even remember giving him anything. One study came up with the results that each individual person, including you and I, will have a profound influence on at least 15 people during the course of our life, maybe some a few more, some less. A profound influence, just one life, making a great impact, wow, What about the one life, my friend, that you could very well encounter within the next 24 hours? You know, the Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man, and I believe that includes ladies, the steps of a good man are ordered and directed of the Lord, that God can direct your steps. I was on a short airplane flight the other day from Wichita, Kansas to Dallas about an hour, it had been a very long day. I administered. Uh, I went to this little airport, had to sit for four hours before I could catch my flight. And that kind of wears you out if you've ever done any air travel. And when I got on that plane, the first thing I did was go straight to sleep. And about halfway through the flight, I wake up and I look at the lady sitting next to me. And the tears are running down her face. She's got a drink in her hand. And I, I had two thoughts. The first thought was, go back to sleep. (laughs) I'm being honest. The second thought was, engage. So I looked at her and I said, are you okay? Well, the whole story unfolds. Her father just died. She's scared to death to fly. She can't figure out why her boyfriend put her on a plane from Wichita to Dallas to Denver. And I just began to talk with her, share with her, and pray with her. I believe that was a divine appointment from God in my life. I had the choice. Go back to sleep. Don't get involved. Or simply, are you okay? Every one of us can have an impact, and I believe it can happen through everyone here today. Can we believe God here at Trinity West to fulfill his word? You know, God's desire is that none perish. Funny thing is, I was driving up I-95 this morning over in West Palm. I saw this billboard from Cleveland Clinic. Maybe you've seen it too. It says, transplanted hearts transformed lives. If we could get the heart of God transplanted into us, lives would be transformed, starting with right here. Can we believe that God's heart can become our heart, that we can become a man or a woman like David after God's own heart? Sure, we can believe him and trust him, can't we? How can we do that? Number one, open our heart. Oh, God, do this in my heart and life. There's not a person here that's too old or too young for God to do something with. Not at all. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm years old. I know you caught that. But you open your heart saying, God, do something in my life. Secondly, you take Captive, errant, distracting thoughts that would pull you away from the will of God, which includes going to Chick-fil-A tomorrow night in one of two locations. I'm trying to help, Pastor Brandt. <laughs> uh, you know, you may like Burger King better. You may like Mickey D's. Do you have Whataburger out? I know you don't have In-N-Out Burger. That is the Christian fast food chain. They got Bible verses and they got great... Anyway, always comes back to food. With thoughts that would pull you away, Paul said, cast down vain imaginations that we take captive our thoughts, open our heart, take captive errant thoughts that pull us away from this heart of God, and open our eyes to see the great possibility before us. Friends, I've recently read that West Palm Beach area is the least churched city In America. Now, you know what that says to me? Yay! We got a great opportunity. There's people all over this place that need the love of Jesus that we can bring them. Oh, it may not be a Mardi Gras. I know that the vast majority of us might never do something like that. But can we believe that our steps can be directed by God to make a great difference in somebody else's life? Today, I believe, my friend, that you and I, we can find those lost coins. We can rescue the wandering sheep. We can bring back the prodigal sons and daughters. The amazing value of one, just one life. Today, I'm excited about the power of God moving through one life. Yours the most valuable vessel that Jesus Christ has today is not the person here or here, but is the person who is sitting in your seat right now. You know, there's a point in history, it's recorded in Ezekiel 2230, that is always just, Stymied me and shocked me. We read in Ezekiel 22:30 where God says, I looked for a man among them who would stand in the gap on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. And I found none. It rattles my mind that God scoured the earth looking for. One person for one task, and he couldn't find anybody. The great evangelist of years gone by, Catherine Coleman, who God moved in a great miracle and healing ministry, she said, The only reason I have this ministry is because a man refused it. That's what she said. God found a great vessel. Yet I look at John 1, six, that says, There came a man sent from God, and his name was John. At this point in time, God found somebody. Hey, would you say this verse? How many of you would give me about four more minutes? Let me see your hand. Four, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty-four. No, I'm not going to do that to you. There came a man sent from God, and his name was John. Let's say that together. Would you please with me? There came a man sent from God, and his name was John. Now, we're going to do it again, but where where the name John is, I want you to insert your name. There came a man sent from God, and his name was Scott. Scott. One more time, but close your eyes and listen to what you're saying. There came a man sent from God, and his name was Scott. You see, God has sent you, my friend, wherever you are in life. John 17, 18, Jesus talking to the Father said, Father, as you've sent me into the world, I have sent them and we've them. Commitment and consecration of following Christ is incredible. You know, there was a time years ago when missionaries who would go overseas, they didn't pack their belongings in suitcases but in coffins. Sounds a little morbid. The truth is they never expected to come back alive. Maybe not killed or martyred, but the level of their commitment was we're gone forever. Wow, these words were spoken into the heart by British revivalist Henry Varley and they hit the ears of a young man by the name of Dwight L. Moody and they went straight to Moody's heart. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Whoa, just one life your life. You may say, Scott, wow, that's a little overwhelming. I don't know if I can do all the things I've seen. Or, no, I'm not asking you to do that. The words of a young woman, a woman whose society would have said, you are handicapped, you really are not very useful. She was deaf and she was blind. She made this statement. She said, I am one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. Her name was Helen Keller. One life. Just one life. Your life. The life of somebody else. Would you close your eyes with me? I'd like to ask two questions.